go straight into God's Word uh, to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And of course, you probably know that Daniel chapter 3 is the account of the three Hebrew boys uh, and the fiery furnace. And of course, all of us were taught that in Sunday school. But let's see this morning, perhaps, if we can get some new light uh, from an old window. But first of all, let's pray. Gracious Father, we come before you today and we open up your word, your infallible, inerrant word. And we thank you that it's a light onto our path, it's a lamp onto our feet. It's manna from heaven, it feeds and nourishes our very souls. So we pray today that our ears will be open, that our eyes will be open, and Lord, it will listen to what the Spirit is saying through this message today. I pray that you will encourage those who listen, you will challenge those who listen, and Lord, at the end of it, Lord, that we will have learned something from your word through your Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, first of all, uh, before I give you the, the verses that we want to read, uh, let me give you the, uh, the backstory first of all. Uh, whenever the children of Israel, when Joshua brought them into the promised land, uh, there was a period whenever they were a cohesive nation. But then after a while, uh, they began to just become like a federation of tribes. And they began to worship the, the gods of the nations around them. And of course, this was something that was not to be because God raised them up as a special nation. God raised them up as a nation among the nations in order to be his showcase to other nations. And so he was teaching other nations, look, if you follow me, if you honor me, if you trust my word, if you walk in my ways, then I will bless you as I have blessed Israel. And I will protect you and I will prosper you and I will raise you up also, if you follow me. Sadly, Israel, who was to give that example to the nations, generally did not. They would fall into idolatry. They would disobey God's ways. They would no longer walk in his ways. They would walk in the ways of foreign gods. And so they came to the point uh, whenever the other nations around them would overtake them and they would go into servitude under the other nations. And then when they were sick and tired of that, they would cry unto God, and God in his great mercy would send a man or a woman, a judge they were called, in order to deliver them and to free them from the oppression of the other nations around them. And it was wonderful. It was great deliverance. And sometimes it lasted a few years. Sometimes it was a whole generation that would last. But then they would lapse and backslide and go back into idolatry again. And then when they had enough of that, then they would cry unto God and God would raise up somebody else to deliver them. And that's what the book of Judges is about. And it was a long period and dark time in Israel's history. And then it got to the place when Samuel was the last judge of Israel. And he was the first uh, in a line of prophets for Israel. And he was the one who began the school of the prophets that Elijah and Elisha continued with. But they came to Samuel and they said, look, we want a king to rule over us like the other nations. And that really displeased Samuel because he had been a faithful judge to them. He'd been a faithful prophet for them on behalf of God. And so he took it to heart and he, he, really, really, he really took it personally. 
but he went to God in prayer and God, in effect, says, don't take it personally. They haven't rejected you. They've actually rejected me from being their king. And so if they want a king, well, we'll give them a king, but they're not going to like it because they're going to suffer. And so he said to them, whenever they get a king, the king will take their best of their young men to run before his chariots, the best of their young women to be his maids and to be bakers in his palace. And then he'll take some of your land and he'll give it to some of his aides. And then he'll take a percentage of your harvest every year. And then on top of all of that, he'll take taxes. He'll, he'll have to pay very high taxes. So it's not going to go well for you. Saul was the first king of Israel. And he started out good enough, but he ended up really bad, a really bad king for them. And then David was the next king that Samuel anointed. And David, with all of his faults, he was the best king that Israel ever had. And then when David died, Solomon, his son, then he took over. And he started out good, but he ended up bad. And then when Solomon died, uh, then the, the, the nation became divided. This was the period of the divided nation. Uh, and 10 of the tribes, the northern tribes, uh, they then became called just Israel. And then the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, Benjamin was the smallest of all of the tribes, plus most of the Levites, uh, that was called Judah. And that's where Jerusalem, uh, and that's where the great temple was down in Judah. Now God warned them again and again not to follow idolatry. But from the, those two divided kingdoms, then there was a succession of kings. Israel had 19 kings. And except for Jehu, who did some good at the beginning, and he destroyed the, the Baal worship, but he still kept up the worship of the golden calves in Dan and Bethel. So he, he wasn't good. There, actually, none of them are good. All of them did evil in the sight of God. But as far as Judah was concerned, they had 20 kings. And they did a little bit better because at least four of them are really good and godly kings. Two others started out well, but finished badly. Uh, but God kept warning them, do not worship other gods, walk in my ways. But they completely, for the most part, ignored that. And God said, you will go into captivity. And Israel, the 10 northern tribes, they were first to go into captivity because the great Assyrian war machine swooped down from the north and just took them all into captivity and scattered them among their empire. And that's even to this day, they're called the 10 lost tribes of Israel. But then about 100 years later, Israel or, or Judah did a little bit better. They lasted a little bit longer because they had some good kings and they had so many revivals. But after even 100 years, they got to the place where God says, enough is enough. Now, Jeremiah was the prophet at that time, which is coming up to their captivity. And Jeremiah kept warning them by prophecy again and again that God had enough of this. He was tired of it. His patience was running out. You better repent because if you don't, you're going to be swept into captivity. But they just would not listen. They despised Jeremiah and they despised God's word to them. In fact, Jehoiakim, one of the kings uh, that Jeremiah uh, served under, uh, God said to Jeremiah, I want you to write down prophecies. Uh, and I want these prophecies to explain why I'm going to send you into captivity as a nation. Of course, they didn't want to hear that. But he wrote them down, or rather Baruch, who was a secretary, who was a scribe, he wrote them all down in scrolls. And then it got into the hands of the king, Jehoiakim. And he was in his winter palace. He was sitting beside a big fire. 
And he was so incensed at God's word to him and to the nation. He was so angry. He took out a knife and he cut the word in pieces and threw it in the fire and burned it. An awful, terrible thing to do. Now, there are, there are presidents today. There are prime ministers today. There are leaders, world leaders, and national leaders today. And even though they may never take the Bible and cut it in pieces and throw it into the fire, but yet they trash it every day by the laws that they bring out. They bring out laws that God abominates, that God hates, laws that are so against the word, laws that are so against nature itself, laws that are so against what God has laid down for us to have a good life. And they bring these laws out, oftentimes even against the very will of the people. We have laws in this country that's against even our will as a nation, but the government still enacted them because they hate God's word. They really do. And so now it comes to the place where Judah now is going to have to go into captivity. And it happens in, in three sweeps. And in the first sweep, uh, the, the Babylonians come, the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar, Ezekiel, he was taken as a captive. And in the second sweep, it was Daniel, it was Hananiah, it was Azariah, it was Mishael. Uh, and they reckon there was 10,000 of the best of young men, the flower of Israel was taken into captivity into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. And then in the third wave, uh, King Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, he actually saw his own sons being murdered in front of his eyes. That was the last thing he saw because Nebuchadnezzar got his eyes gouged out and then took him into captivity also. So barbaric, it was awful. And so now the book of Daniel only mentions four of these captives. That's Daniel and what we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Jason Dick spoke very, very well about Daniel the Lion Tamer just about four weeks ago, so I'm not even going to uh, go into Daniel. I really want to focus on this account of the three Hebrew boys. Now, they were young men. They were teenagers, and uh, they were the brightest. They were the best because Nebuchadnezzar, he, he installed Daniel and these three boys into the University of Babylon for three years, it tells us in chapter one, because they were bright, they were handsome, they were physically well, uh, they were they were. They were brought out well, and he wanted them then to, to, to be trained to serve in his courts. And really what he wanted to do was indoctrinate them in the ways of the Chaldeans uh, and paganism and superstition and all of that. And these were very bright young men. And yet, after three years, and even though they had taught them all of the ways of the Chaldeans, yet they never lost, they never lost uh, their vision for God. They never lost their, their, what they were taught from the word of God, they kept that themselves. They never, ever broke that. And then it comes to the place whenever Nebuchadnezzar decides to, to, to make this great big golden statue. It was 90 feet tall. It was nine feet broad. It was massive. And he, he put it up in the plain of Dura. He didn't put it up in Babylon amongst all the other images of other gods. He wanted this to be significantly separate from all the rest. Now we don't know what it was like other than it was made of gold and its size dimensions, but I think we could hazard a good guess that it probably was an image of he himself because megalomaniacs and tyrants around the world has always made images of themselves. 
I mean, the Romans did that. The Caesars all over Rome had images of themselves on plinths in the cities in prominent places. We see that even today with the North Koreans, with the Kim Il-sung dynasty, where there's great statues of their leaders, the great leaders all over the city and all over the country. We saw it with Saddam Hussein in Iraq. And we remember the pictures after the Iraq fell to the Allied forces and how the people pulled that great statue down and kicked on it and stood on it. Uh, Stalin did it. Uh, Lenin did it. They all do it. And that's their way to say to the nation, look how great I am. Look how powerful I am. Look at me. Look at my statue and be afraid. Be very afraid when you see this because you know the power I've got. Well, we think that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. And then he, he formed a great orchestra. And probably it was all the best musicians uh, in Babylon. Uh, and they played so many different types of instruments. And I'm sure there was a, it was a massive orchestra. And I would imagine that somebody composed an anthem for the great unveiling of this great statue. And then they invited all of his princes and his provinces and all over his empire and all the wise men and all the, the, the great people, the great and the good. Uh, they were all to come for one special day for the great unveiling of this magnificent statue. And so they came and the order was given that whenever the band would strike up, when the orchestra would play, that every single one of them, without exception, was to bow down in the dust and worship the golden image that he had set up. That must have been a sight. There must have been thousands on the plain of Dura. And can you imagine the noonday sun shining of that great golden statue? And then when the orchestra would strike up, as one man, all of them instantly would bow down in the dust of the ground and worship that golden image. And as an incentive to worship, to make sure that everybody did worship, that there would be no dissenters, he built a great fiery furnace. And the order was given, if you do not bow down to my image, then you will burn in that fiery furnace. Now that would get your attention. And of course, every one of them would bow down and worship that great golden image. Every one, I say, except three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three Hebrew young men, they refused to bow. They just would not do it because they would bow to no graven image. They remembered the commandments and they just would not do it. And of course... That brings us now to a reading in Daniel chapter 3. Listen to what happens in verse 8 onwards. Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. And they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Now, notice it says these Chaldeans and these Jews. 
I think there was a jealousy here because these three, including Daniel, of course, these three had been promoted. These three, three had risen up through the ranks. They came as slaves. They came as captives. But now they're serving in the palace and they've risen up through the ranks and they don't like it. These Chaldeans do not like it. You know, as a believer today, when God promotes you and God blesses you, and God gets you to rise up through the ranks, whether that's in the workplace, wherever it may be, there's going to be somebody who will not like it. There's going to be somebody who will not like you for that. And they were no different. And so they come to the king and said, these three are defying you, O king. By the way, you may wonder, well, where's Daniel at this point? Nobody really knows, but probably, you know, because he was high up in the palace and probably he was maybe sent out to some foreign land as on some ambassadorial role for the king. But if he had been here, if he had been there at that point, you could be sure he would not have bowed down either. He had already proven his worth before this. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods nor worship the gold image which I have set up? Is it true? Can it really be? I mean, as we say, he was gobsmacked. He couldn't believe that anybody in their right mind would not bow down and worship his idol, especially because they know if they wouldn't, they're going to go into a fiery furnace. They're going to give up their very lives for this in a horrible way. He could not believe that they would do that. He says, is this true? Then he said, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods nor worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in sympathy with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, Good, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now he's given them another chance. Listen to me. They've already not compromised in the first place. They've already made it clear that they did not worship that image. But now he's given them another chance to compromise their beliefs their faith, and their God. You see, the devil will always want you, believer, to compromise your faith, your belief, and your trust in God. And he won't stop whenever you have stood up once. He'll come again and again and again just to get you to compromise, to get you to buy. And so he gives them another chance. But then at the end of verse that verse 15, here's what he said. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? You know, there's an old saying that if you give the devil enough rope, he'll hang himself. <laughs> and this is where Nebuchadnezzar crossed a line. Up to now, he's threatening them. But now he's threatening God. Now he's defying God. Who is the God that will deliver you from my hands? In other words, there's no God greater than my God. There's no God greater than me, actually. 
So no God can deliver you. He's threatening God now. He's defying God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't need to debate this. We don't even need to have a discussion about this. Our minds are ready made up. That's it. We don't need a long discussion. Our minds are made up. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Now, you've got to admire these three young men. you really got to admire their courage. Now, remember that out of all of the captives, out of all of the thousands that came, it seems to be these are the only three that had the guts and the courage to stand for God and not to compromise and not to bow down. And remember that they're hundreds of miles from home. We don't know, but their parents, maybe they never saw their parents ever again. If they had any siblings, maybe they never saw them again. Remember they're in the most idolatrous city on the face of the earth. Remember they're standing before the head of a world superpower. I mean, the Chaldeans were the world superpower at that time. And here is the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And they're saying no to him. And he did not like it. And so they had great courage to do this. You know, sometimes we waver in our courage whenever we're faced with our testimony or our faithfulness. But these three were faced with an unbelievable, cruel, wicked death. And yet they still would not compromise one iota of their faith. You've got to admire that. And so they had great courage and they had great faith. He said, we truly believe that God is able to deliver us out of your hands. And not only that, we believe that he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. That took great faith to say that. Can you, can you understand what that must have taken for these three young men to say that and to really trust God in the face of what would be unbelievable, this burning, fiery furnace? I mean, who could withstand that? But they're not going to bow down. And so I admire their courage and I admire their faith. But above all, I admire what they said next. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. But if not. Those are three defining words. And I believe that every true believer in Christ will have to come to that place where they'll have to say, in effect, but if not. I believe God can do this. I believe God will do this. But if not, if for some reason unknown to me, if God has some other purpose in not doing it, we still will not bow down and worship other gods. We'll still be true to God. Job said, though God slay me, yet I will trust him and I'll come forth as gold. I, I, I love that they said that. I mean, that showed tremendous faith. This, this wasn't a dilution of their faith, by the way. They weren't wavering here. They're just saying, listen, this is what we believe. 
This is what we're trusting is going to happen. But if God has got another plan, if God has got another idea that I don't know about, I'm telling you, but if not, if God doesn't answer my prayer, if God doesn't turn this around for me, if God doesn't change my circumstance, I want you to know, but if not, I will never turn away from God. I'll stay true to him. I'll still walk with him. What a tremendous statement. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You know, that's two or three times in the first three chapters where he was full of fury. Megalomaniacs, tyrants are very angry people. And we, we, if you read the history of Stalin and Hitler and all these people, they were full of fury and anger. They could not control it at times. And he spoke and commanded that the furnace be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. I wonder today if you feel that your trial, that your furnace is seven times worse than anybody else's. Or I wonder if your trial, your furnace, you feel is seven times worse than you have ever faced in your life before. All of us had trials. All of us had testing times. But sometimes it's seven times worse, isn't it? Sometimes this is the biggest test, the biggest trial I've ever faced in my entire life. It was heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats and their trousers and their turbans and their outer garments. They were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because of the king's command, because the king's command was urgent, it was harsh, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. But if not, but if not, even if God doesn't deliver us, even if we go into this furnace and we don't come out of it and we're burned alive, be it known unto you, O King, we will not bow down and worship your image. Do you know I was thinking just the other evening when I was studying this, I was thinking that the great chapter in Hebrews, the great faith chapter, chapter 11, the roll call of faith. Now we as preachers, we, we try to, to be positive. We try to encourage your faith. We try to believe with you and encourage you in what you're believing for, if it's in the will of God. Uh, and and we read the great chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, and we read about the heroes of faith and how daring they were. And in chapter 11, uh, the writer mentions 17 people by name, literally 17 by name. And they were great people of daring faith, of Abraham, of Sarah, of Moses, of Enoch, of Noah, of Gideon, of Jacob, of Joseph, of Isaac, and the list goes on. These were people of daring faith. And we encourage ourselves with people such as that. We look to them to inspire our faith, 
to say to keep going on and keep trusting and keep believing. But then out of the 40 verses, we stop usually about verse 35. And we finish there. Where it says, woman received her dead, raised to life again. And that's usually where we finish. But look at the next part of the verse. But others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. So that means deliverance was offered to them. Just like the three Hebrew boys. You know, he gave them another chance. You know, I'm giving you one more chance. Now, when the, when the music plays, if you, if you bow down, fine, you'll be delivered. But if you don't, you're going into the fire. And so whoever the others were, they're not even, their names, we don't even know their names. But whoever these others were, they were tortured, not accepting deliverance. In other words, it must mean, it implies that they were told to recant their faith, to give up their faith in God, to turn back from God, not to follow God anymore. And if they did that, then they would be delivered. But they refused it. Like the Hebrew boys, they refused it. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had tried of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, so this wasn't a lack of faith. They're included in the heroes of faith. Now they mightn't have the daring faith as the ones that were mentioned, but they had enduring faith. They mightn't have the daring faith, but they had enduring faith. I think God is just as pleased with enduring faith as he is with daring faith. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. But if not. But if not. And so here they are. They're thrown into the midst of this burning fiery furnace. It was heated so hot that the captors were burned up throwing them in. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. This is verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Huh. Now he didn't know the Son of God, but you know, in the original it says like, like one of the sons of a god. You know, God's had their sons. And that's the best he knew. But whenever he looked in that fiery furnace, he saw the fourth man in there. Think of this for a moment. This is a Christophany. This is a pre-incarnate Old Testament appearance of the Lord himself. Think, he left the very throne of glory and he came down to earth and he went into that fiery furnace. And he was there before those three Hebrew boys was ever thrown in. He knew they would be thrown in. 
He knew they would not cave in. They would not compromise. They would die for God if necessary. So he went into that fiery furnace and waited for them. And he welcomed them as they came in. I wonder what the conversation was. I think the Lord was so pleased to see such faith and such courage that he was there to welcome them. And the king was astonished. You know, in the midst of your fiery trial that you go through, the Lord is with you. You may not feel that today, but I can promise you he's with you. He said he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll be with you right unto the very end. And when he sees you particularly, you're standing strong and you're standing tall for God and you trust him, he's with you in that trial. He's with you in that fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, furnace and spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, <laughs> come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors. Remember, all these thousands were still there. They would see this happening. And the king's counselors gathered together and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed nor were their garments affected and the smell of fire was not on them. All contrary to every law of nature. But God is the creator God. And God is the one who gave us the laws of nature and God can supersede them at any time he chooses. Jesus did that, turning the water into wine. He superseded all of those laws of nature and he did it in an instant. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What an amazing account of faith, of courage, and not just faith, but a faithfulness who just would not compromise one iota in what they believed, no matter what the cost. But if not, we're not going to bow to you. Even if we have to burn, we'll still not bow to you. But thank God they didn't burn. They didn't bow, neither did they burn. And God delivered them, and Christ himself was right there in that furnace with them talking to them, walking with them. What an amazing sight that must have been. So where are you today? Is your furnace heated seven times more than it was wont to be heated? Are you feeling the heat? Are you saying, Lord, this is the toughest battle I've ever had in my life, but I want you to know, no matter how tough it is, no matter how difficult this path is, I am not turning back. The old chorus says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though no one follow me, yet I will go on in Christ. I'll not turn back. 
Ah, what a great God we serve today. So I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to be blessed. I want your faith to be encouraged and strengthened in the difficulty you face at this hour. God is with you for sure. And he'll be with you right in the midst of the toughest time. He'll be right there with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word that teaches, that instructs, that encourages, that challenges, that blesses, that feeds. Lord, help those who are listening and watching today, whatever they're facing, to know that you are truly with them in it. As you were with those disciples in that boat that was sinking. As you were in those moments when people were in despair, like Mary and Martha at the graveside of their brother. Lord, you are never far from us. You're closer than the very breath in our bodies. And so I thank you, Lord, for each person who's watching and listening today that's struggling, that's facing a difficulty, that's being challenged by their, on their faith, even in their workplace or their university or their school or among their peers. Lord, I pray that they will not give up and that they will not give in. But Lord, that they'll stand tall and be strong and trust the Lord through every situation in Jesus' name. Bless, Lord. Bless the church today. Bless MPC. Bless everyone that comes here regularly. We pray, O oh God, that you'll bless them, Lord. And, and Lord, that they'll stay healthy and well and good. And Lord, that this disease that's around the nation, Lord, will not touch them, Lord. And Lord, that they'll be blessed. Those who are struggling with health issues today, I pray for them. Lord, that they realize that Christ is with them in the midst of it all, and he'll never forsake them. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.